0: Why do many chronically ill people not tolerate glutathione? And what are some home tests we can do to try to get to the bottom of what's going on? This is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ Masterpass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. So if I were to summarize Will's question, it's why do some people who are chronically ill not tolerate glutathione? And what are some home experiments we can do to figure out what the cause of the intolerance is
1: and thereby figure out what might we be able to do about it to improve that tolerance? And to go into...
0: A little bit more detail, Will says, "...it seems to be extremely common among chronically ill people to not tolerate vitamin C, supplemental glutathione, or glutathione precursors such as NAC. Often these same people do not tolerate vitamin B6. In my own case, I get extreme brain fog within two hours of the supplementation, and the degree of brain fog seems to correlate to the size of the glutathione dose." If I had to form a vague hypothesis about this, it feels like the whole system of glutathione metabolism and its supporting enzymes has some critical pathway that becomes unbalanced and then exhausted after supplementation and this leads to a state of no glutathione or minimum glutathione. At that point, ROS, reactive oxygen species, run free and create symptoms such as brain fog. It might be that we need different proportions of each glutathione precursor or supporting nutrient. Can you come up with any theories about which parts of the glutathione recycling system would most commonly fail? across a broad spectrum of individuals. And can you think of experiments we could try at home to try or isolate which part of the system is not working well? How could we tweak the supplementation to possibly work around these issues?
1: Is there any formal testing we can do to isolate the source of the problem? All right. So let's go over what we would expect glutathione to break down to.
0: And I want to say at the start that we can't rule out that the glutathione is being metabolized by sulfur metabolizing bacteria in the gut. I think for Will, this isn't the case because in in the comment thread that responded to his question and in his responses to John's question, he was saying that in the past, he's had that issue. And after he's cleared out sulfur metabolizing bacteria from his gut, now he can better tolerate sulfur but he still has this problem with glutathione so i don't think it's sulfur in the gut for him but speaking to the broad spectrum of individuals he's referring to i think for some people it's going to be it it could be sulfur metabolism in the gut and i think working with a a gut oriented healthcare practitioner who can help you resolve that would be a direction to go in but i think as a simple test at home up to 2,000 micrograms of molybdenum taken simultaneously with the glutathione, if that wipes it out, then I think that's a, a gut issue because molybdenum doesn't just support sulfite conversion to sulfate. That's the toxic sulfite to the non-toxic sulfate in our bodies. In And we only need very small amounts of molybdenum for that. But molybdenum will directly poison the sulfur metabolism of sulfur metabolizing bacteria in the intestines. And and so if a larger dose of if a very large dose of molybdenum simultaneous with the glutathione is knocking that problem out, then I think that's a bacterial thing in the gut. Okay. So putting that aside, let's run down, let's assume that glutathione gets absorbed into the body and then it's doing its its damage in this intolerance reaction. So let's start by looking at
1: what we do with glutathione and let me bring up a diagram for you. All right, so glutathione is broken down into dipeptides
0: and amino acids in the gut and it's also absorbed intact in the gut and no one knows the proportions.
1: But let's assume that you absorb it intact from the gut. That glutathione is largely going to be taken up by the liver, and
0: then the liver glutathione uh, pool becomes a cysteine reservoir for other tissues. And some tissues can take up glutathione intact, and there is glutathione circulating in the plasma. But there is way less glutathione circulating in the plasma than there is cysteine, and so the liver is has glutathione for its own purposes and has it as a cysteine reserve. And it is largely cysteine that is going to circulate. And of course, the other amino acids will will um, if you break down glutathione to the cysteine in it, you're going to break it also down into glutamate and glycine because. It's a tripeptide of glutamate, cysteine, and glycine. But when we're just thinking about the the the, what they call the gamma glutamyl cycle, we're thinking about a
1: a cycle of cysteine supply to the body, where the liver stores it as glutathione, and then will release it into the blood, where it will get cleaved into cysteinyl glycine, that will then get cleaved into glycine and cysteine. And the glutamate from the uh from let me
0: point this out. Uh let me let me say this a little bit more clearly. So glutathione is is gamma glutamyl cysteine glycine. And that's this glue is glutamate CYS is cysteine, GLY is glycine. So gamma glutamyl transferase or transpeptidase will take the gamma glutamyl portion of this, that's the glutamate, and join it to cysteine to make cysteinal uh to make gamma glutamyl cysteine over here. And what's left from that will be cystenoglycine, and 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 cystenoglycine can be cleaved into glycine and cysteine. And gamma glutamyl cysteine can also
1: be cleaved into um, glutamate and cysteine, Um, although it it can also be taken up directly and
0: be reformed, uh, it can also be taken up directly into cells Cleave to cysteine, and then and then everything starts over in in glutathione synthesis. Um, okay, and so so as a general rule, uh, cysteine can be quite toxic intracellularly at high concentrations uh, or extracellularly. And so inside the cell, you are trying to keep it as gamma-glutamyl cysteine when you can, or as glutathione, and then outside the cell you you either have this gamma-glutamyl cysteine that you're going to funnel into the cell, or this cysteine is going to be largely in the oxidized cysteine uh, cysteine form, which is two cysteine bound together um, as a di- in a disulfide bond. And so you're you're generally doing whatever you can to prevent the free thiol, the free sulfur part of cysteine, from being running around on its own, open up ready to react because it's highly reactive and not going to have toxic effects. Anyway, the point is that you can have free glutamate, free cysteine, and free glycine in the breakdown of glutathione, any of which can have
1: uh, potential effects that you might experience as intolerance. Now, the three of them, all three of them can generate ammonia. And so that could be the problem. Although I
0: would think that if you had a problem with ammonia, that you would also have this problem just from eating protein. But then again, I would think if you had a problem with glutathione, you'd also have the problem from eating protein because your glutathione status, in normal metabolism is your glutathione status goes up whenever you eat a protein-rich meal, if it's protein and carb-rich especially because amino acids supply the building blocks for glutathione and carbs supplies the
1: insulin, which, which provides the signal to make glutathione. So I wouldn't rule out ammonia. And all, also it's, it's worth noting that uh, cysteine in particular has some... Usually when you break down amino
0: acids to form ammonia, it's because you need to burn them for energy or you need to convert them into glucose.
1: And cysteine has some. Cysteine and glycine both have some unusual aspects to their metabolism
0: that will increase ammonia generation under certain circumstances. So, glycine can actually be broken down in the
1: absence of other methyl donors to contribute to the methylation of folate. And when it is, when it is broken down for that purpose, it'll generate ammonia. So
0: it might be folate metabolism is dictating ammonia generation from glycine. And then cysteine, we'll go over in much more detail in a minute, but cysteine has its—it's its sort of its own metabolism, uh, can, can lead to ammonia generation apart from the usual reasons for it. So it's not because you're trying to convert it into glucose uh, that you that you generate ammonia from cysteine. So let's now go to this this paper to talk about cysteine metabolism. This is by Martha H uh Stepanik dealing with methionine homocysteine
1: sulfur cysteine metabolism nitrogen and inorganic sulfur a review from 2011 very good resource. So It's all a little complicated, and I and I'll summarize it for you. But um, if you're eating glutathione, you break down cysteine. You are not coming in at homocysteine and serine. So in
0: the in the transmethylation uh, in the transsulfuration pathway, you have a homocysteine from the methylation pathway combines with serine, and cystathionine beta synthase converts into cystathionine. And then cystathionine gamma lyase, which is abbreviated oddly enough CSE here, will then convert cystathionine using water to ammonia, alpha-ketobutyrate, and cysteine. Now, although you you would think that with glutathione you're coming in here where the cysteine has been freed, you're skipping over cystathionine, so you're not going to make alpha-ketobutyrate, you're not going to make ammonia, you're just going to have the cysteine. That's actually not true because there's a second uh, enzymatic reaction where instead of using serine to break down homocysteine, you'll use cysteine to break down homocysteine, which generates cystothionine and hydrogen sulfide instead of water.
1: And so that means that, <laughs> excuse me, that means that You can generate alpha ketobutyrate and ammonium from cysteine because
0: in the alternative CBS reaction, you're generating, cy- generating cystothionine and hydrogen sulfide. And now that cystothionine is going under normal cystothionine metabolism of cystothionine gamma lyase to generate cysteine, alpha ketobutyrate, and ammonia. So, you sort of put cysteine in, got cysteine out, and your cysteine level didn't change, but you made alpha-ketobutyrate pneumonia. All right? So among the things we're looking at is alpha-ketobutyrate pneumonia. Now, alpha-ketobutyrate gets metabolized into propionyl-CoA, which then requires the biotin-dependent conversion to methylmalonyl-CoA, which then requires the
1: B12-dependent conversion to Uh, succinyl-CoA and then can enter the citric acid cycle, but if you don't have biotin or you don't have B12 or you have a defect in either of those enzymes,
0: you're going to wind up with propionyl-CoA. And if you wind up with propionyl-CoA accumulating, then you are going to wind up causing coenzyme A starvation, the free-CoA pool will decline, Uh, the rest of metabolism will start to fail, and you will have dropping acetyl CoA, and the lower acetyl CoA, higher propionyl CoA will lead to, uh, will both synergistically compromise the production of N acetyl glutamate, which is the allosteric stimulator of the, of the urea cycle. And so your urea cycle will drop at the same time that you're generating more ammonia. And you didn't generate ammonia because you had too many acids or because too many amino acids, too much protein, or you needed glucose generated ammonia because you had so much cysteine that it, you, that it like hijacked the alternative CBS reaction to make more cystathionine to generate ammonium and alpha-ketobutyrate. And the alpha-ketobutyrate went and poisoned your metabolism, dropped your urea cycle, and now
1: this ammonia that you've generated can't be metabolized. So that's, that's one scenario. In, now, in addition to that
0: cystathionine lyase reaction that's produ- producing alpha ketobutyrate and ammonia, you can also take cy- cysteine instead of cystathionine with that enzyme
1: and you can convert it into serine and hydrogen sulfate sulfide, and then convert it to pyruvate and ammonia. So now you have more ammonia and you have more hydrogen sulfide. Now, on top of this, this hydrogen sulfide has to be
0: metabolized in a coenzyme Q10-dependent reaction, delivering electrons to the electron transport chain. You know, so you've got a respiratory
1: chain disorder, or a CoQ10 synthesis problem, or whatever. This step can go wrong to make thiosulfate, which has two sulfurs in it. That thiosulfate is then converted
0: to sulfite in, guess what, a glutathione-dependent reaction. Uh, and there's two different reactions. So that this can happen with rhodonese or with uh, or with the, the glutathione-dependent thiosulfate reductase. Uh, but it seems like glutathione is important based on studies they, they talk about here with glutathione depletion, where you compromise the generation of sulfite and sulfate so thiosulfate reductase with glutathione is is, is
1: converting the thiosulfate to sulfite um and then that sulfite has to be
0: metabolized in a molybdenum dependent manner with sulfite oxidase to sulfate all right so what are we going to do with all this well i tried to compile
1: this into something kind of kind of uh manageable and so, let me share this with you, i to share my screen, Go to my notes. Alright, so to summarize, glutathione becomes
0: glutamate, cysteine, and glycine. Glutamate enters the citric acid cycle, leaving ammonia. Glycine contributes to the methylation of folate, leaving ammonia. Cysteine generates ammonia through a more complex pathway that we cover right here. Okay, so option one for cysteine metabolism is to generate hydrogen sulfide gas, alpha-ketobutyrate pneumonia, with alpha-ketobutyrate generating propionyl-CoA, which must be metabolized with biotin B12 to methylmalonic acid and succinyl-CoA and enter the citric acid cycle. So your toxic byproducts with cysteine option one are hydrogen sulfide gas, which is a vasodilator at physiological concentrations but is a mitochondrial poison at high concentrations. You've got propionyl-CoA, which starves the free-CoA pool and, and inhibits the urea cycle.
1: And you got ammonia, which needs to be metabolized in the urea cycle in order to not put you in a coma. Cysteine option two is you make serine and hydrogen sulfide, which becomes pyruvate and ammonia.
0: So you still got hydrogen sulfide and ammonia in both these top two. It's just that option one gives you propionyl-CoA as well. Cysteine option three, hypotaurine and then
1: taurine. Cysteine-3 should be the non-toxic option here, um, you know. but let's not rule out taurine intolerance as an idiosyncrasy. All right, so if you have options one and two, that means you have hydrogen sulfide, which is
0: metabolized to sulfite in a multi-step process that includes CoQ, a CoQ10-dependent process and the glutathione conversion of thiosulfate to sulfite, and then the molybdenum-dependent conversion of sulfite to sulfate. In options one and two, you have hydrogen sulfide, basodilator, hydrogen sulfide, mitochondrial poison. You have
1: sulfite produced in a glutathione-dependent manner, which is all kinds of toxic, and you have potential stress on the CoQ10 respiratory chain dependency as well.
0: Um, And so again, option three seems like your safe option. Okay, so I broke this down into seven hypotheses that you could test. So hypothesis one, glutamate toxicity. If this is the problem, take your glutathione dose and multiply it by 0.48 to get 48% of the dose and then take that as L-glutamate. If that gives you the same problem, the problem is the glutamate. If it doesn't, it's not. If it makes it you know, if it makes you feel better, it's not the problem. Hypothesis two, glycine as an inhibitory neurotransmitter, maybe glycine-induced neural inhibition. Take 24% of the dose of glutathione as glycine on its own. If that replicates the problem, it's the glycine. If it doesn't, it's not. If it makes you feel better, it's not the glycine. Hypothesis three. Ammonia. Try taking sodium bicarbonate, baking soda, enough to bring your urine pH to eight along with L-glutamate at 1.44 times the dose of glutathione. Um, in in this case, the reason it's 48% of the dose is because 40, if you take 500 milligrams of glutathione, 48% of that is the mass of glutamate that's in that. Whereas here, it, it's 1.44... Uh, where did it go? Here, it's 1.44 times the glutathione. The reason that that I chose that is that if you break glutathione into three amino acids, you can theoretically generate three ammonia molecules for each of uh, for, e- you know, for each molecule of glutathione you had. So I'm taking this 48. percent I'm multiplying it by three,
1: and the logic here is that alkalinity will cause you to mop up ammonia with glutamate to make glutamine.
0: And if you supply glutamate at 1.44 times the dose of glutathione, you are supplying the amount of glutamate that you would need to mop up all the ammonia if all the nitrogens in the glutathione molecule were turned into ammonia molecules. So you have a sort of one for one glutamate versus ammonia supply, and you have
1: alkalinity to push the regulation towards mopping up the ammonia. If this allows you to tolerate the glutathione, then the problem was ammonia. Um, now, these these cysteine-specific hypotheses, or the ones that are more cysteine-centric, if they're correct,
0: it should be that 39% of the dose as L-cysteine or 53% of the dose as N-acetylcysteine should replicate the problem with glutathione. However, if that fails to replicate it, I wouldn't rule out the cysteine-centric hypotheses because it it's... pot. There is evidence that NAC is mostly metabolized in the gut, so it's pot like in the intestinal cells. So it's possible that with glutathione, more is reaching the systemic circulation of the liver. And with NAC and maybe L-cysteine, more is being broken up in the gut. So in real, I wouldn't use this to rule out a cysteine-centric hypothesis, but I think you could rule it in, right? So if, if, the, if 53% of the dose is NAC, does the exact same thing, then I think you clearly have a cysteine-centric hypothesis to deal with. So, moving on to the cysteine centric hypotheses, hypothesis four is accumulation of propionyl CoA. First of all, make sure you correct any deficiencies of biotin and B12, because if you have deficiencies of biotin and B12, you're going to have a problem with propionyl CoA accumulation no matter what. So, make sure you don't have that. Fix it if you do. Besides that, seven and a half grams each of L carnitine, not acetyl L carnitine, L carnitine, and glycine to support the detox of propionyl CoA. If that works and allows you to tolerate the glutathione, it was a propionyl coA thing. Well, not, not necessarily true, but it was likely to be a propionyl coA thing. It could be the next thing as well. So, I bought this five. Is hydrogen sulfide gas? Hydrogen sulfide gas can lead to vasodilation at physiological concentrations or mitochondrial toxicity at at pathological concentrations. If you told me you got a headache from glutathione, I would think it would, was hydrogen sulfide mediated vasodilation you're telling me you get brain fog, that sounds more like mitochondrial toxicity than like vasodilation. If the problem is vasodilation, you should be able to replicate it with L-citrulline by creating
1: a nitric oxide donor to increase vasodilation. Um, But a way to test the uh, the hydrogen sulfide hypothesis is that because s methionine is an allosteric
0: regulator of cystathionine beta-synthase, and because the more CBS activity you have, the more H2S you should get, that's not to say that it's an on-off switch for H2S, it's proportional, right? So more CBS generates more hydrogen sulfide, hydrogen sulfide gas, all things being equal. And so in that case, if you co-supplement glutathione with SAMe and it gets worse, That's a good reason to think it's H2S. And if you supplement glutathione in an extended fasting state, so like let's say you take it at, you know, fast all day and then take it, or fast for a full day and take it the next day, if it's better when you do that, that also supports the H2S hypothesis because extended fasting should decrease CBS activity, meal feeding should increase it, SAMI supplementation should, should sort of, you know, nitro boost it hypothesis six is
1: sulfite. If it's sulfite, correction of the molybdenum deficiency should eliminate this. If it's a problem with the molybdenum, if if you're
0: molybdenum deficient, you should also have low uric acid. If you supplement molybdenum and it doesn't help, and your uric acid is low and didn't go up, you might have a problem making the molybdenum cofactor. And with any of these things, you can have a genetic alteration in any
1: of the enzymes and then you know that's the reason that that the corrective factor didn't work um but you know I think if, if I think if I think molybdenum not helping uh
0: the problem contradicts the sulphide hypothesis hypothesis seven is a taurine sensitivity if this is the case then forty one percent of the dose of taurine take take the glutathione dose that causes you a problem take forty one percent of that as taurine
1: if you can replicate it it's the taurine if not it's not um, you know, if it's not a taurine sensitivity, I doubt it is, then you can probably you can probably shunt cysteine to taurine with bile acid sequestrants. So um let me go back to the metabolic thing. The diagram. Hold on a second. All right. So if we come to this
0: diagram we could broadly speaking go down the cysteine dioxygenase route or the cystothionine beta synthase route uh, to determine whether we go down the route of taurine or down the other
1: routes and actually i think this this other diagram is a little bit better actually this is a various the various um Okay, so I I think what might happen
0: is that if you use biolastic sequestrants, you will pull cysteine down to taurine. Um, by kind of like if you're getting rid of bile salts, you're getting rid of taurine in your gut, and your your liver wants to make more taurine and more bile salts, and
1: that might drive it away from sulfite generation, and and then away from these the uh, the other reactions further further up there.
0: Well, they're not shown in a clear diagram here, but that should that should take you um, that should take you, I think, away from also the excess cysteine that would drive into cystothionine synthesis with alpha ketobutyrate and ammonium. So I think generally speaking, that if you're not taurine sensitive, bile acid sequestrants such as high dose fiber or anything else that'll bind up bile acids will suck things down towards taurine and away from the less toxic byproducts. But anyway, to get into specifics of those seven hypotheses, I think those seven tests that I gave you should, should work and so I hope those help. Thank you Will for your question. This is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ Masterpass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. If you wanna become a Masterpass member so that you can participate in the next live Q&A or so that you can have access to the complete recording and transcript of each Q&A session, you can join at chrismasterjohnphd.com masterpass. You can save 10% off the subscription price for as long as you remain a member by signing up at chrismasterjohnphd.substack.com slash q and that's Q&A spelled out as Q-A-N-D-A. These links are in the description.